day 245 welcome back to the windows and mirrors podcast my name is keith and remember this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the bible is more like a window than it is a mirror we come to it to see through it and to see god not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves all right so uh, last time we ended off talking about matthew chapter 16 and we had this climax in the gospel where peter says no 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 you are the messiah the son of the living god right and he has to tell peter to get behind him because he don't really know what kind of messiah he is right he is saying no no jesus says i am the crucified messiah that comes to lay down my life and atone for the sin of my people and what's interesting is that um we're in chapter 17 today and like we've said like we said you know uh Matthew is most concerned with trying to show Jesus as the son of David, right? As the anointed one from David's line who is going to bring in God's kingdom. However, in the midst of that, he is showing him as one who fulfills and embodies the Torah and the law. So he has these major teaching blocks, right? So you see a lot about Jesus as a teacher in Matthew more than you do in any other gospel. But he's also Emmanuel. We saw that in chapter one. He is God with us the, the word Emmanuel literally means God with us so chapter 17 comes and remember the the, the cross talk <laughs> the cross talk he talked about in 16 do you know what he talks about after that the transfiguration look at chapter 17 he says this after six days Jesus took Peter he let it brew a little bit right all what he said about following the son of man uh and he cru being crucified he let it he let it stew a little bit let it percolate he says after six days Jesus took Peter James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Stop right there. In the Old Testament and in Matthew, right? Remember, mountains are places of revelation. And so Jesus is about to reveal something to the inner cohort, cohort, uh, Peter, James, and John. And what he reveals to them, he is he goes up and he is transfigured. That word there is is where we get our word metamorphosis from. He is literally changed in front of them. And he shines like the sun. His sun, his clothes become so white as the light and Moses and Elijah appear. What's going on? What Jesus is showing and what the gospel writer is trying to show us by clustering these two sections together, the death um, of Jesus in one or in 16 and then him being transfigured in 17 is that death and resurrection always go together. You can't talk about one without the other. And, and in Jesus's mind, he's like, no, 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 I am the crucified and then I am the glorified king. Right. And so this is why he has to go reveal this to him. And at the end of the story, it's like he, he tells him not to say anything until after the resurrection. So it's pointing to the resurrection and Jesus is showing that he will be exalted, right, by being raised up and changed and glorified. And he has Moses and Elijah come symbolizing the law, Moses and the prophets, Elijah and two people who met God on the mountain. And remember in, in the mountain scenes, especially at Mount Sinai, looking at Exodus uh, 19, uh, Exodus 24, Exodus 34, those places, you know, you see God. Yahweh speaking to Moses and Moses is saying we ought to listen to to Yahweh and in here Jesus is the one that needs to be listened to so in other words he is God incarnate he is God become flesh he literally he God literally became Jesus and he is the glory of God in human form and you see uh, Jesus gives this great revelation and then right after that he has to cast out a demon <laughs> He comes down and casts out a demon. And uh, it's interesting because I think what he's trying to show is that, yes, this glory is coming, but it is not uh, not yet fully here. Right. So it's this tension. Remember, the New Testament is is sitting between these two poles. The already the kingdom has come in some sense, in part, but it is not fully here. Uh, and it will be one day when the Messiah 
comes back. 18 comes. And 18, chapter 18, is the fourth of the five major teaching blocks that we talked about, right? And so in this section, he's going to talk about a host of different things. And he starts off with uh, receiving a question about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Matthew is concerned about God's heavenly kingdom coming to earth, right? And if it's God's heavenly kingdom, if it's not of this world, then the values of the kingdom will not be the values of the world. <laughs> so, so he's asked, Jesus asked, no, no, who's the greatest fam? Like who's the goat? Who's the G O A T, right? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, yo, like a child become like a child, right? Look what he says. He says, no, no, no. Truly, I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus uh, 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 says become like a child, but he interprets what he means. And he says humility is a mark of those who come or who are in the kingdom. Right. In other words, he's saying no, no to be humble and childlike is uh, to be humble, independent is to be childlike and therefore is to be great in my kingdom. One of the things I think we delude ourselves with so much is our own self-sufficiency, right? The 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 fact that, no, no, I have it all figured out. I am self-sufficient in and by myself, and I don't need to radically and daily depend on the living and risen Christ. And Jesus is saying that is not what my kingdom is like. Right. And, um, you know, for us, I, th I think we have to remember that humility in the kingdom is the chief virtue. Right. It is not the pride. It is not the arrogant. It is not those who have the highest positions of authority, but it's those who are willing to stoop low enough before the God of the universe. And so Jesus is like, no, no, like I need you to be humble. And this once again is para doxical he moves on he talks about you know if your brother sins against you go and rebuke him in private right he talks about the restoration of a brother in the kingdom and he gives that whole spiel and he talks about yo like no if he doesn't listen to you go take two other people uh maybe he'll listen if he don't listen in then if he's an unrepentant he's just hard-hearted then let him be like let him have his way we don't hold people hostage <laughs> in the kingdom we want them to come home but we don't hold people hostage and then he goes on after that it says then peter approached him and asked lord how many times shall i forgive my brother or sister who sins against me as many as seven times and jesus gives him this parable of the unforgiving servant and his point in the parable is to show that uh because we've been forgiven of uh of, if, because an infinite god has forgiven us we can forgive finite sins from our brother right and jesus is like really clear about this i think this is the first time i saw this matthew 6 he talks about you know um unless you forgive right uh you won't be forgiven at the end of matthew uh 6 not the end in matthew 6 he says uh for if you forgive others their offenses matthew 6 14 your heavenly father will forgive you as well but if you don't forgive others your father will not forgive you and then he comes in matthew 18 he says so also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your Heart. I think uh, the mark, one of the marks of uh, uh, 
Christianity, obviously, and, and it's so obvious that we just overlook it, is forgiveness, right? Like true, like literal uh, forgiveness of people who have wronged us. And it's interesting because in the Old Testament, when the kingdom is prophesied in places like Isaiah, one of the things that you see is the mark of this coming kingdom is that there will be full forgiveness of sins, right? That That is one of the things that characterizes the work of our Messiah, of our King. And so how much more if Christ could forgive us of the infinite ways we've sinned against him, we can uh, uh, definitely forgive our brothers and sisters who's, who've sinned against us in finite ways. And he moves in 19, uh, 19, he moves on to talking about divorce, right? So the Pharisees pull up on him um, and, they're, and they're asking him questions about divorce. And what's interesting is that Jesus has been contrasting his own teaching with the Pharisees teaching. Now, I think there's a point in there for us to, to be a disciple is to be a learner. If we are disciples or learners from the great master kingdom teacher, Jesus, we need to be equipped to some degree to guard our hearts from uh, a teaching that is not biblical. Right. And so they come and they ask him about marriage and they ask him a, a, a very like uh, a strategic they use very strategic language to ask and they say, yo, Jesus, is it lawful to divorce, right? Your wife on any grounds. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Like, you don't really know the scriptures, right? Haven't you read? <clears throat> and he quotes Genesis 2. And he grounds the permanence of marriage in the event of creation. Listen to what he says. He says, in other words, it was before the fall and before sin entered the world, right? It was God's intent. From the beginning of time, that one man and one woman unite and become one until death. And they say, well, well, Moses commanded us to give papers, right, and send her away. So in other words, Moses commanded divorce. This is what they try to say in, in, in Deuteronomy 24. But Jesus is like, no, no, you have to read the scriptures more carefully. He says Moses didn't command divorce. He permitted it. Right. And the only exception in Jesus's mind is sexual immorality. So and if we go back and read the context of Deuteronomy 24, it actually is a case law. It is actually not God's uh, 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 full out will, but it is a, a law that's put in place in the case of sexual immorality um, in light of human sin and weakness. And so Jesus um, is, is clear about God's original intent. Now, remember, the Pharisees were very much trying to update the law. I said that earlier on a few uh, um, episodes ago, update and interpret the law. And here they they like I've said before, they, they are very much concerned with human weakness. Right. And so Jesus is saying, no, no, like I get what happened in light of the fall. But we have to remember Genesis one and chapter two. Right. Where, where, where God commanded the two shall be one. And so you see in the kingdom. I think the whole point of this whole section is that in the kingdom, we, we see how we are to relate to ourselves, right? How we are to relate to our brothers and sisters, how we are to relate to our marriage, how we are to relate to money, how we are to relate to uh, membership in the church. Matthew is the only gospel that mentions the word church, right? In the kingdom, I think Christ is trying to say, no, no, the kingdom is not just about the next life. It's also about this life, right? It radically changes how we do everything that we do in this very life matthew 20 last chapter this bunch we have the parable of the vineyard workers and it's up bracketed at the end of 19 you have but many who are first will be last and the last will be first and then in 16 you have uh so the last will be first and the first will be 
last. And you see the radical generosity. He gives a story to show the radical generosity of the king, that the one who came to Jesus at two and the one who came to Jesus on his deathbed, both can enter the kingdom. Right. And, and Christ is saying, no, no, like I am uh, generous. Right. I give freely and it is in uh, my own under my own discretion that I give to whoever. And uh, those who seem like they'll be first in the kingdom may be last. And those who seem like they may be last may actually the first uh kingdom uh the 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 roles or excuse me the the values once again are reversed and turned upside down i love the end of this because jesus goes on to give the final prediction of his death he'll enter jerusalem for the last week of his life in 21 he gives the final prediction of his death and he talks about he every time he gives a prediction of his death he adds something so this time he says uh that the uh, chief priests and scribes they will condemn him to death they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They'll hand them over to the Gentiles. They'll hand them over to the Gentiles. Why is this important? Because it's not just the Jews who saw to it that Jesus died. It was also the Gentiles too. And the irony of the gospel is that he didn't just come to save the Jews, but he actually came to save the Gentiles. He actually came to save the entire world. And uh, this thing ends with a healing of a blind man and Jesus itinerant you know, ministry in the land of Galilee and in Judea uh, ends here. And uh, I think it's important that it ends with the healing of two blind men uh, because it, it shows, I think what Christ is trying to show um, is that uh, his, his, his ministry is misunderstood. So the miracles are strategically placed for specific reasons and his ministries are misunderstood by those who can see, right? Like those who are looking at him with physical eyes. Um, his ministry is misunderstood. They don't understand that he is the son of David coming to bring the kingdom of God by way of his cross and resurrection. But these blind men call him son of David, messianic language to, to, to identify themselves as needing mercy and as wanting to receive his kingdom. Right. Jesus comes and he's about to be put to death uh, and give his life in the infinite wisdom of God. Uh, this giving of life is the way to bring life to the world. Let's pray. God, we ask um, that we will remember King Jesus today, that we would uh, have insight into what he's doing in our lives, Lord. And I pray that even when we don't, that we would still worship him, Father. I pray that we would be humble. I pray that we would live in light of the kingdom. Not, uh, I pray that we would just, yeah, remember that the kingdom is not just about the next life, but it's also about this one. Uh, it's in Jesus Christ's name.